This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position. From its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an episode of the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Nicole Yang, and today Chris Grenham and I are joined by special guest Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. Ben, how's it going today? It's going all right, to be honest. It could be better. Look, uh, I like to be a little bit of a Celtics antagonizer. You guys have this gigantic Massachusetts monolith of media members, you know, covering the Boston Celtics, and it gets to be a little bit overwhelming at times. So I was feeling real, real good when OG hit that shot in game three to kind of scare Celtics nation. Kyle Lowry bounces back in game four with, uh, you know, a real all-around masterful performance. The kind of, you know, if you haven't won a title like the Celtics haven't with this group, that's the kind of performance that scares you. It makes you think twice. It makes you, like, worry, uh-oh, do we not have the championship DNA? And Kyle Lowry's got some secret sauce that we can't keep up with. And yet you fast forward to game five, and Boston just absolutely smacks Toronto straight out of the gate. They've got the Raptors frazzled, yelling at each other about the technical foul that Lowry got in the third quarter. You've got Nick Nurse trying to push all these buttons to inspire Pascal Siakam. I'm not saying Toronto, the defending champs, are melting down, but they're certainly back on their heels. And that's the last thing that I wanted to be talking about, you know, coming on here and just giving praise to the the Celtics for 45 minutes. But I've got no choice. They were sensational in game five. They deserve all the credit. You talked about it in your latest article on the Washington Post. You mentioned the fact that these Celtics don't really have a star who's been there before. You look in the Western Conference, and obviously the Clippers and the Lakers, they both have guys who've been there before. You know, the way the Celtics kind of bounced back in Game 5, does that kind of push that concern a little lower on the totem pole of concerns for you when you look at the Celtics? Where do you stand with that? Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's the most annoying and basic criticism for any team that's never won it before is that you can't win it because you've never done it, right? right. And that's not how it works. Of course, everybody's got to win it once. I mean, the Golden State Warriors went through that. I mean, at one time, Tim Duncan had to go through that you know, pretty early in his career. LeBron had to face that. I mean, everybody goes through it. So there's no way to answer it until you actually do it. But I think the, the more important piece about the Celtics is if you look at their overall case for can they be title contenders, that's really the only weak link at this point. I mean, they've got an elite defense, the best defense in the bubble. They've got a go-to five-man lineup that works well together, that kind of covers every base, that's versatile, that has offense and defense balance. 
They don't have ego questions or pecking order questions in terms of like, you know, our guys staying involved. Are they happy? They've got a great vibe to them. They've shown that they can respond to adversity with that bounce back win in game five. As I mentioned, you know, that could be the type of moment that could crumble some teams coming on the heels of the, of that uh, just backbreaking OG shot in game three too. So, you know, you look down the list, they've got go-to isolation scores if they need to do that, you know, guys who can come through in those moments, you know, all the kinds of things that we would say are, are prerequisites for winning a title. Boston pretty much checks all of those boxes. And I think they also look ahead, you know, to their title path and potentially they don't have to go through Giannis now. Um, and, and you would say that uh, Miami is probably a more favorable matchup for them, in part because the Heat also haven't been there and done that before. And in part because you, you probably take Miami's, uh, you know, you probably take, sorry, Boston's wings over Miami's wings in that head-to-head matchup. And you certainly take Kemba over Dragic at the point guard position. So you've got some matchup advantages there. Uh, you've got some building momentum. You've got a younger team, uh, you know, with, with guys like Jalen and, and Jason Tatum answering some really pivotal questions in, in big moments here uh, this week, I think you add all that up and, and Boston's right there in the mix. And if you rewound to, uh, you know, a month ago, uh, you know, coming into the bubble, you know, I really wouldn't have said that, you know, and I think if this season had played out normally, you know, I still needed some convincing to, to kind of put Boston into that category. But you know, this bubble basketball requires, uh, you know, guys living together day after day after day, maintaining that consistency, not getting sick of each other, not, you know, wanting to go home and, you know, and, and not breaking, you know, during uh, high intensity moments. I mean, those are key characteristics of kind of surviving down here in Disney World. And by the way, that goes for the media members too. You know, not everybody's handling this situation, you know, on, on the same level of uh, stability. So, you know, I think Boston's displayed those characteristics. So has Miami and teams like Milwaukee uh, just haven't. So, uh, you know, you got to give them credit there. Ben, you kind of just touched on this, but when did things sort of change for you? Like, when did the Celtics go from, you know, the cute story to the title contenders? Well, look, I'm a holdout. So the shift was last night, okay? I I didn't want to have to give them any credit earlier than they deserved it. Look, I'm being a little bit facetious. Uh, They've played great down here. I mean, they were of the top five or six teams in the bubble. They arguably had the best seeding round. I mean, if you look at, like, the Clippers and Lakers, they didn't take it that seriously. Uh, Milwaukee was really up and down. Um, Toronto was actually excellent during the seeding round games too. So I should, I should mention them there too, but they've just been really solid and steady. And it was funny because it was so easy to hop on Philly as a train wreck, you know, that whole storyline. And certainly I did that in their first round series. I mean, that sweep was not surprising me at all. Philly was trying to get out of the bubble as quickly as possible. They probably had private jets lined up at the airfield, you know, Disney airline jets to get them out of here as quickly as they could possibly do it. But, you you know, when you maybe get a little bit distracted by how bad they look, by how they're just not putting it together, by how it beats laboring during these games down the stretch and everything else, it is easy to lose sight of the team that's actually smoking them. And in that case, it was Boston. So I was still in kind of prove it mode for the Celtics after that first round series. Uh, but they've you know, displayed a lot of those same characteristics, the consistency, the unselfishness, the um, precise defensive rotations. I mean, all that stuff that helped them against Philly, they've shown against Toronto too. And I had a lot of respect for the uh, the Raptors coming into this series. And, you know, start to finish, you know, Boston's been better. And if you look at that OG shot, if that doesn't go in, you know, if, if they just steam, maybe that they'd, they'd play a little bit different instead of having Taco in, in front of the uh, – the inbounds pass, maybe you plant him in front of the basket and you have, uh, you know, everybody else hugging tight on the perimeter, you know, Boston could already have won this series. So it definitely uh, it's a situation where they've become a lot realer right before our eyes here. 
you you talked about a lot of Eastern Conference teams there. I would be kidding myself if I didn't get a chance to, you know, briefly touch on the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Inc. I would hope there's a little greatest of all talk and Geno time crossover in terms of the listeners. But Ben, on Grace of all talk, you rep the Bucks harder than anyone else. You've kicked your co-host, Andrew Sharp, off of the Giannis Inc. board. Where where do you stand right now with the Bucks? I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so they're still down 3-1 at the moment. But where do you stand right now with the Bucks? I mean, you've been able to watch their kind of struggles against Miami firsthand. Look, as Giannis Inc. CEO, you know, I'm embattled right now. It's been a tough <laughs> week. You know, we're trying to keep perspective here. First of all, you know, our stock price has been going up for seven straight years. So people need to keep perspective on that, all right? This is the first major step backward for Giannis. I mean, you could look at last year as a disappointment when they blow the 2-0 lead against Toronto. But, you know, ultimately that was still their first time they made a real deep playoff run. And so, you know, you look at how the progression is supposed to go. You know, they take their lumps in the Eastern Conference Finals and they come back this year and it's sort of like a coronation. They're supposed to take over control of the Eastern Conference, right? right. It just didn't go that way. You know, the, the blame, there's plenty of it to spread around. It starts with Giannis. His shooting has not been, you know, nearly good enough. He put all this work into the, the jump shot and it just completely deserted him against the Miami Heat. He's the one who made the dumb foul at the end of game two that cost him that game. That was sort of the turning point moment to me of that series. You can't blame him for spraining his ankle, um, but, you know, certainly that's another major impact. He can't, po- you know, point to anybody else and be like, you know, it's it's your fa- fault I sprained my ankle. Um, so he has to bear a lot of responsibility here. Well, look, I mean, you know, you guys, these blue chip companies, Amazon and, and Apple, every once in a while they have a down quarter, right? So this is a rare down quarter for Giannis. He's going to be back to, a, you know, full growth mode here as soon as possible. However, to me, they've got to get him some help. And it's tricky because the roster's pretty locked in. They're not going to be able to find an upgrade on Middleton. They don't really have a lot of young players. They really desperately need a time machine to go back and undo that Malcolm Brogdon trade. And so I think that the only way they can really get him some help is potentially to change the coach here. And you look at Coach Bud, I mean, just holding him back throughout this entire postseason. Oh, you can't play more than 35 minutes. It's a ceiling. I mean, it's just a comical take from a coach when you're looking at the history of the NBA, how many minutes superstar level players play, um, you know, throughout the last decades. Look how many minutes Kyle Lowry's playing in this series against Boston. Um, And then in game four, with their backs against the wall in the series basically already lost, he goes out and plays Middleton 48 minutes in overtime. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, it's either your principal, it's your not your principal. Like, if it's a must-win game and you can play Middleton 48 minutes in game four, you should have been playing Giannis 40 minutes, games one, two, and three. I mean, you're kind of at that point where, where you need him to be out there and directing all the traffic. I guess if I'm Giannis, my message to, uh, you know, Bucks management is, look, I don't want my season decided by Coach Bud, Dante DiVincenzo, and Wesley Matthews. I want to be the person who decides my season. And, you know, he deferred to Bud on the minutes. He deferred to Bud on the defensive assignments. And this is an MVP-level guy who's basically being dictated to by his coach. That's not how it's supposed to work, especially in the modern NBA. And so I hope they shake that uh, – they shake that dynamic up and, and find a way to, I guess, more empower Giannis. Because right now, if you don't change your coach, your message from the, the uh, ownership group to your best player who's a free agent in 2021 is basically, hey, man, this is on you to fix everything for us. Like, we don't have a great way to upgrade the roster. We're going to stick with Bud. So it's on your shoulders to fix it all. 
that's not a very compelling pitch when you've got teams like Toronto, Golden State, and Miami, you know, circling like vultures in free agency trying to grab Giannis. So I think Milwaukee's in a tough spot. Life came at them very, very fast. So I apologize for neglecting to mention our favorite affiliation of Ben's, which is the Greatest of All Talk podcast, a show he hosts with Andrew Sharp, who also happens to be Chris's cousin, and very entertaining program. They talk about, I mean, basketball, Taylor Swift, national parks. Chris, what am I missing? Legos. I mean, those are the those are the major crossovers. Those are the major crossovers. I mean, between basketball and Taylor Swift, they have a they attack a large market of the things that Nicole and I enjoy. So I think it's a uh, I think it's a great show. And if any Geno Time listener is not a subscriber, I would definitely recommend it. Can I get your album reviews of Folk War? Because I'll be honest, as I was processing the demise of Giannis and the Bucks, you know, I had to turn to folklore. It's that real mood music, you know, when you're trying to get through like a painful dental appointment or if you're just trying to like forget about, uh, you know, a team season falling apart in front of your eyes. You know, you just listen to My Tears Ricochet and you kind of get into your, you know, you get into your zone. What do you guys think? Well, Ben, one of my favorite songs on the album is Exile. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah. So Boney Vare, I've been fighting with his friends for the last month. That's my least favorite song, although I'm going to break some news on Geno Time. I've very slowly started to come around to it. I came out hard against that song in my initial album review. I gave it zero stars out of five, and I heard from dozens of people from Wisconsin who were so angry with me. You came in just boneheads. Yeah, I just thought he came in too loud and too strong. I just didn't want his voice. It just kind of ruined the vibe. But, you know, when they're talking about the, um, you know, you gave so many signs, you didn't give me any signs. I mean, that's very (laughs) relatable at the end of that song. I can kind of understand where they're coming from. Everyone's gone through that at some point in their life where they feel like they're not being heard, even though they're doing whatever they can to be heard. So I'm begrudgingly coming around to it. I'll give it one out of five stars. Um, That's as far (laughs) as I'm willing to go. I I respect the commitment to the Taylor Swift. I don't even want to say bit because it felt like a bit at first, but then it's anything but. It's very genuine. So I I really do respect that quite a bit. No, I'm all in, especially the last couple albums. I mean, it's just such rich material. Her fans are so diehard. A lot like Celtic fans, frankly. You know, there's no question. Very true. You know, the Celtics fans wear those green T-shirts. LeBron is a B. I could see Taylor Swift fans wearing T-shirts that say Kanye is a B. Like, there's there's no <laughs> doubt. So there's some overlap there. Do I mean, you guys think this one lived up to the – I don't know if there was really hype because it was kind of a shock drop out of nowhere. I mean, compare it to Lover. Where, where are you at on it? Nicole, I think you should take this one. You're the bigger <laughs> Taylor Swift fan than I am. <laughs> I mean, it's just – it's so different. And I think that's the beauty of Taylor is that sort of each of her albums takes a risk musically. Like when she dropped Red and I Knew You Were Trouble had like dubstep, like a beat. When that beat dropped, I feel like everybody was like, oh, my God, what is Taylor doing? And it's like now it looks genius. Like she just – I don't know. She's just so versatile and really, I think, takes the next step before people sort of realize it. And I think that was this album as well. Totally. She's like one step ahead of the second guessers constantly. Mike Boonholzer could learn a lot from her. Let's just say that (laughs) if he was a little bit more proactive and a little bit less reactive, I think Milwaukee would be in a little bit of a better spot. But yeah, no, I I appreciate you guys plugging the show. And and also I could talk Taylor for two hours. Um, (laughs) How about The Last Great American Dynasty? I mean, would we we say that is a song devoted to the Russell and Koozie Celtics? or? or, (laughs) 
I think a lot of Celtics fans would. Yeah. Apparently, Ed Markey actually played that at his like victory party when he won um, tremendous. against <laughs> Joe Kennedy the third. But anyway, so I, I wanted to ask you. Obviously, you um, do a lot of top 100 lists and things like that. Where do you think Jason Tatum will be ranked next season? It's still early, but where do you think he is right now in that ranking? Way too high. Way too high. Um, you know, especially for my liking. Look, it's always tricky to crown the rising superstar level guys. You want to make sure you sort of – you don't overrate them, but you also don't want to, like, underrate them. I think last year – and I don't know where I was on a guy like Luke last year, but I imagine I underrated him because I feel like he comes out of this season looking like a top five, top six type player. And I know I was not nearly that high on him. And you want to kind of have that slow ramp up. Basically, you want the guys to earn it. But I think with Tatum, you know, all the jokes about, oh, he's only 19 and all that stuff. Like, well, he's not 19 anymore. He's been paying his dues now for multiple seasons. I love his defensive commitment uh, just in general. I wish more wings who could score the basketball and shoot and had that, like, you know, Kobe step back package and all that stuff that he's worked on. I wish more wings kind of followed the model of what Tatum does defensively because they would be so much better players. You know, so I think that a lot will be determined by how far Boston goes for sure. But I think that, you know, he's got a ceiling, you know, well inside the top 10 for sure. And I think he's probably got a floor, you know, around maybe 15 uh, would be probably as low as he could go at this point. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty hallowed company, especially for a young guy. There won't be very many other young players as high on that uh, particular list, but I'll be honest, I have not given basically a shred of thought to the top 100 living here in the bubble because that's usually an off season project. And right now, as Brad Stevens noted yesterday, somehow it's Labor Day and all the days don't make any sense and we're all just kind of tripping out on the, the passage of time. So, you know, usually right around Labor Day, I would be coming up with my top 100 list, but I haven't even given it a second of thought yet. So I'm going to pivot back to the Raptors series real quick. Um, you, as we mentioned, are in the bubble, so you've gotten to experience the very intimate game settings. Yesterday, there was a couple clips going around on Twitter of Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry kind of showing some frustration on the court uh, while Lowry was complaining uh, about a call. What has that been like to kind of experience a lot of that stuff? I mean, you've been to virtually all of these playoff games at this point. I mean, it's like seeing Taylor Swift at a middle school talent show. You know, it's <laughs> like it, it, it just doesn't beat it. There's, I mean, the games going forward are never going to be as good as this, right? Because the level of access and the intimacy of these environments, it's just for a basketball diehard, it just, it's, it's hard to top. Of course you want the crowd reaction. That's the missing element that, that does hurt. I mean, you know, the OG shot would have been so much, you know, crazier if it's like, you know, silencing the building, for example, yeah. right? Like, you just don't get that element. But, you know, with that Ibaka play, it's a, you know, a great example. Like, you know, we, we always see these guys bicker, but you never know exactly what they're saying. I guess my one takeaway is it's really not that surprising what these guys say on the court. There's a lot of people asking for fouls. There's a lot of people screaming and one. Um, there's a lot of guys um, just cursing because they're mad at themselves. So, like, the actual dialogue is not that surprising. But getting to hear it definitely adds a layer to it. And in that particular sequence that you're mentioning, like, you know, Ibaka is just frustrated. We've all been there. It's so relatable. You know, it's like for podcasting. Like, let's say, you know, Chris, your audio screwed up. And so, you know, you had to call Nicole afterwards and be like, sorry, like, I, my file got corrupted. We're going to have to tape this show over. Nicole would react exactly like Ibaka did in that moment. She's like, come on, bro. We're getting our butts kicked. Stop getting technical <laughs> fouls. Like you're, 
you're ruining my afternoon. So like it, it actually humanizes the players, I guess is my real point. Like it, it just makes them even feel less like characters on a television show or, you know, characters on this big play that we're kind of distanced from and more just like humans kind of going through it like everything else. And that's not just for on the court. I mean, that goes through the off court stuff too. I mean, these guys just needing to go back to the hotel to shower after games, right? These guys needing to eat food that's not nearly up to the standard of, that they're, they're accustomed to when they've got private chefs at home. I mean, all of this has really, I guess, narrowed the gap for a short amount of time between, you know, these multimillionaire NBA players and everybody else. Now, I say that I should also qualify that by these guys are still living good. Like, I don't know. I've been to the shipping depot that the NBA has set up here at the bubble. And there's like just pallets of flat screen televisions, bring, you know, <laughs> being imported. I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers just left a Peloton bike at their station. Just I don't know if anyone's ever going to claim it. It's just sitting there and. You know, normies like us would kill to get a Peloton bike, right? And here's the yeah, Sixers yeah. just casually forgetting it, uh, you know, back at their, their their shipping depot. So, look, I mean, the the haves and the have-nots, that's definitely still a deal. But I do feel like uh, the gap has been narrowed down here in the bubble. On Ibaka real quick, he's questionable for game six. What do you think that does to Toronto? I mean, he's been really good, particularly in high ball screens, um, and has played some fits with the Celtics front court. I mean, Daniel Tice has been great defensively, but uh, when Ibaka's on the court, they certainly seem to be better off than when Gasol is on the court. So what do you think that does for Toronto if he is unable to go? Well, I'm pretty sure Gasol has been playing with two walking boots on his feet. I mean, I don't know how you yeah. describe like his, <laughs> his lack of mobility during the yeah. series. That's kind of what it seems like. Um, yeah. So I guess one walking boot for Ibaka is better than two walking boots for That's Gasol. Fair. <laughs> no, look, they're, they're in, they're in trouble. I mean, let's just be flat out about it. Ibaka has been phenomenal in this series. I think it, in some ways it would already be over without him stepping up in a couple of those games. Um, his shooting from the top has been pretty big. I agree with you on Tice. I think he's one of the most unhappy heralded breakout guys of these playoffs look I mean I'm sure Celtics fans you know it's it's one of those situations where you guys already know what he does but maybe the national media goobers like me are a little bit slow to catch up but I think he's had a really nice and, and uh, you know important playoff run but uh, yeah I think you know look they need Ibaka healthy if he's not healthy they don't really have other good options if you take Gasol off the court your backup plan is basically going super small with Pascal or Boucher or I guess OG trying to play the five. I do not like those looks, you know, nearly as much for Toronto. They're the kind that sound good in theory. Let's go super small and spread it out around Pascal. And then all of a sudden you're just giving up all this stuff at the basket. And, um, you know, you don't really have great help options for for Tatum or, or Brown or Kemba. And, you know, I, don't know. I just don't think they want to play that way. So I think Toronto's strategy, long story short, is to just basically pray that Ibaka is okay. Um, going back to sort of your observations inside the bubble, I think during the first seeding game, I meant to ask you who this was, but you had tweeted that when Giannis was at the line, a Celtics player on the bench let out like a fake sneeze. Can you tell us who that was? <laughs> I would love to be able to tell you who it was, but it caught me so much by surprise. I wasn't looking at the bench. I just heard it. And then I looked <laughs> up and tried to like identify the culprit and I wasn't able to identify the culprit. So I don't know. Maybe you could put that as a poll to your listeners. Maybe they've got some, uh, some <laughs> candidates. I mean, I don't know. Who, who would be your top suspects uh, in that situation? My guess would be Javante Green. I was going to say Javante Green as well. I think it was definitely him. <laughs> well, how about this? For the benefit of the podcast, I'm going to pretend that it was Javante Green. But I, I really I wish I could answer that question. It was hilarious. And I, they've actually piped in a lot more noise. So those kinds of um, tactics are actually more difficult to pull off. What was incredible about the fake sneeze 
is that he did it from the opposite bench. Giannis was shooting the free throw at the far end, right? So that fake sneeze traveled 90 feet. That's no joke. And the more of the trash talk you're actually hearing now because of the piped in noise is happening in front of their own bench. So like the Clippers, when everybody shoots a free throw in front of their bench, I mean, they're just acting the fool constantly trying to distract guys. Um, you have Tanasis Atenacumpo slamming the sideline, um, you know, the, the little padding to try to make noise when guys are shooting free throws in front of um, the Bucks bench, for example. But that cross bench sneeze action has basically been unprecedented. I haven't seen that uh, again since then. It was an awesome moment too. Ben, I got to ask another Celtics specific question to bubble related activities. You are a big walker. Brad Stevens is also a big walker. He has dubbed his walking path or walking route his walk of sanity that he does daily. Two questions. One, have you seen Brad on his walk of sanity? And two, what has your walking routine consisted of in the bubble? So first of all, yes, I've seen Brad on the walk of sanity. And I don't want to brag here, but we exchange waves practically every day. Um, <laughs> it's, it's nearly a daily interaction. Uh, he's very polite. It, there's always a lot of etiquette, you know, because it's a one and a half mile loop that we walk. And so I actually walk it uh, clockwise. He walks it counterclockwise. So there's no way that there's nowhere to hide. And as you're doing the loop, you're going to pass the every, you know, every day you're going to pass him twice, right? So usually the typical decorum states you wave as you're walking past the first time and then it gets shaky. On the second time, a lot of people will not make eye contact. They'll just keep walking. They'll feel like they've already acknowledged you. Maybe they're on a phone call, whatever it might be. But Brad will always go back for that polite second acknowledgement. I really appreciate about him. And actually, by the way, Spolster does the same thing. I mean, both these guys are just power walking like uh, maniacs out there. And they're both, uh, you know, very diligent in their acknowledgments. So, uh, you know, full credit, I can I can confirm Brad Stevens is a polite walker. I'm sure there was a lot of concern out there. Is he a polite walker? Is he not a polite walker? He is certainly polite. In terms of my walking routine, I'm trying to get in at least, you know, three miles outdoors per day. I tend to be a masochist about it. And I go out there at like 2 or 3 p.m. when it's like 95 degrees and, and sunny. And again, both Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra are out there grinding out those miles in that terrible humidity and, and heat. I will say yesterday, though, Brad was out there walking and we got one of those crazy central Florida storms coming through out of nowhere. I was soaked to the bone, but I kept going, guys. I walked a total of six miles. I came <laughs> home. My clothes are actually still drying 24 hours later. And Brad was nowhere to be found once the rain started. So He's not running from the smoke from the Raptors, but I think he might have been running from the rainstorm smoke just a little bit. I don't want to call him out here too much. Maybe we'll see him back out there. He can prove me wrong. But, uh, no, I, I think you've got to do it. You've got to have some exercise routines here. And I think uh, the teams that have been the most comfortable in the bubble have been the teams that have found out uh, found ways to do that because it will eat you up. I mean, these these rooms are not that big. I'm sure they're living better than we are, but – it's just a day after day mental toll that all the players were talking about before the shutdown, you know, with the Jacob Blake uh, protest and all that, it was definitely weighing on guys. And I think that the walking part is an, uh, is, it shouldn't be underrated. It's a, it's a really important piece of, of just maintaining that balance. Last couple of things here. One thing I was curious about, are players on their phones during availability? Like there are a couple of times where Jason Tatum sort of like looking down from the zoom, we can't really tell, what he's doing, but it seems like he's scrolling through his phone or like looking at his phone 
Is that a thing? Well, no offense to your guys' team, but the Celtics are some of the most boring quotes I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. So I, I don't go to a lot of their availabilities. Okay. I would say last night he checked his phone briefly. It, it looked to me like he was just trying to see if he had gotten a text or a call or something. So when he looked down, that's what he did. When Westbrook had a terrible game last week, he was, I, I don't know if he was fake texting, but he was on his cell phone during the entire interview, barely looking up and just sort of like, you know, it, it seemed like he was almost communicating with somebody on the other end throughout the interview, which to me, it's kind of a rough look for all parties involved, but he played so terribly. I guess you kind of give him a pass because it was just one of those nights. Um, so guys do carry their phones. Some of them will actually play with their magic bands. They'll fidget with their little, uh, you know, Disney uh, bracelets that are kind of like your key to get into your room. I think that a lot of times when they're doing that, they're just trying to get the interviews to wrap up. You know, I think at some point, like, you know how it is in the locker room, guys have a little bit more say over how many questions they take, right? You can glance over to a PR guy and just kind of be last one. When you guys have that cue on the Zoom call of like five or six more questions coming from reporters who are offsite all lined up, the player in that room has no ability to like end the interview, right? He can't just like, well, he could just stand up and walk out, but that would create a whole story by itself. So I think sometimes those nonverbal cues are directed at the PR staffers, maybe, you know, hoping that they'll throw them a lifeline and kind of cut things off more quickly. But in general, I haven't seen a lot of Celtics, um, you know, just completely tuned out. I wouldn't say that. And then anything else that you've seen inside the bubble Celtics-wise that maybe fans watching from home, like, haven't been privy to? No, it's just their chemistry is so darn good. It bothers me, you know. They're just, like, so happy. They're actually glad to be there. They root for each other. They support each other. I mean, I saw Taco Fall lift Enos Cantor up for a dunk before a game, like, just lifting him off the ground. I don't know if that's, like, a, a continual uh, – uh, habit between those two or not, but it was certainly cute. It actually reminded me, I was at All-Star Weekend one time and I took a picture of Yao Ming and Carl Malone because Carl <laughs> Malone looked like a baby compared to Yao Ming. That's exactly the same vibe with Enos Kanter and Taco Fall. It's like Kanter, this gigantic man, looks like a baby in, in Taco's shadow. But I, I just think that like there has been such a wide disparity between which teams look happy and which teams look comfortable. And even the Lakers have played well, but they haven't been comfortable. I mean, you guys have heard LeBron kind of complaining about the bubble day in and day out for like two months straight, right? They haven't necessarily looked comfortable. Boston, to me, has looked more comfortable than just about everybody. It's them and Miami, honestly, are the two teams that have looked the, the happiest and the most just at ease within the bubble. And I'm not sure there was any way to predict that necessarily. I mean, you'd expect a team that had a really good vibe and kind of a joyride type season after all the Kyrie mess, uh, you know, was in the rear view. Maybe you would expect that from them, but it's not guaranteed. You kind of have to establish that culture when you get to the new environment. And, um, you know, maybe that's coming through on TV, but maybe it's not. But it was so obvious during the Philly series where, like, Philly, I mean, it's every possession was painful. It's like these guys are just, you know, it was a chore. They didn't even, you know, it's just all, it was so hard. And for Boston coming down the other way, it was just light and loose and, Here's Tatum sticking a three in your eye. And here's Tice getting a dunk every once in a while. Here's Kemba dribbling circles around people like they're traffic cones. I mean, it's it just, you know, that that's really what stood out because there's no other distractions. There's no other complicating context. It's just like, is your team happy or not? And you're watching it kind of side by side. And, and Boston's been there this whole way. Well, I think that's everything that we had. I guess one last plug for Ben is that he's writing a book from inside the bubble called Bubble Ball that I think Chris and I are both very excited for. But anything else you wanted to add, Ben? 
no, I just appreciate you guys shouting out greatest of all talk. That's at uh, greatestofalltalk.com. And, and you guys can find the bubble ball links on my Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you guys better cut me off or it's going to turn into another 10 minutes of plug. So be careful <laughs> at ben.golver on Instagram uh, for all your walking photos. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, that's, that's about what I've got going on. I got to say you're the, the amount of plugs you can do is probably more than anyone else. Cause you're, you're a workhorse. You're hosting, Numerous podcasts, you're writing for the post, you're writing a book. I have to commend the amount of things you have on your plate. It's very impressive. Oh, it's a great point, Chris. Check me out, washingtonpost.com slash sports. I'm on Twitter <laughs> at, at Ben Golliver. You can sign up for my newsletter by going to my Twitter profile. It's called the Post Up Newsletter. It's free every Monday morning. I'm on TikTok, but I don't post, so people don't have to follow <laughs> me there. But no, you try to stay busy, man. You know how it is in this, this climate. You've got to be versatile. Just like Jason Tatum, as as painful as it is to say those words, you know, you never thought I'd hear you say that. Wow, you've got to get your Tatum on, guys. (laughs) Celtics fans will like today's edition of the newsletter. The headline is "The Young Celtics Look Like Title Contenders." So be sure to check out everything Ben just plugged. And thank you all so much for listening. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.